Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for this week, Len Hafer. Joining me today are two people, one of which is 3MA founder Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. And the other is freelance writer John Bolding. Howdy. I introduced you kind of uh, kind of like you're uh, there's something going on there. John Bolding. Mm. Sketchy. There's um, always something going on there. Uh, <laughs> and we're here today because it has been it's been an, at least a year since we even brushed over it, but closer to two since we talked in depth about Civilization six and Sid Meier's Civilization in general, um, which is still one of the more popular strategy games uh on steam even to this day um and i think it's the the most popular strategy game on steam is it still number one yeah i know you've been looking at at those it carries a solid thirty thousand players average most days yeah um and you know we're a strategy podcast so we're going to take a look at where civilization is in 2021 and uh John, like where what is uh, what do you think it is that keeps bringing people back to it with with so many options we have now? I think that the Civ series is a is a comforting series overall. It's um, it's it's complex and interesting without being too, too absorbing, too. uh, You can't say it's not demanding on your time because it is, but Mm. it isn't a series that forces you to be paying attention at every moment that you're playing it. And it's not a series that forces you to, uh, to learn a lot of really intricate systems. There's sort of a set of rules. There's a few things you do and you play from there and new, uh, new mechanics get introduced over time as the eras progress. But a lot of the, the series itself is, a comfort food for strat for I think a lot of strategy gamers and it's uh it strives to maintain a board game like simplicity um and it wants to have that sort of approachability generally it doesn't it, it's I think it's one of the reasons that it's not a deeply historical game though it is uh history themed and that's that's because that attracts sort of the maximum number of people without being too richly uh, richly tied into factual historical moments, uh, which I think is something that keeps people out of certain games rather than draws them in. Um, and it's it's 30 years old this year. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do another show here and sort of talk about Civilization Six now that they have wrapped up apparently wrapped up development on it and are looking at the future of what's next for the franchise. Yeah, it was interesting that they they put out two expansions and then they if you don't know, they released what they were calling the new frontier pass, which was almost like it ended up being like the same amount of content as an expansion. It was just spread out over many smaller pieces of DLC, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, since the, at least the Civ series hasn't really done anything like that before. Um, Troy, you still play a, a fair bit of Civ Six as well, don't you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably one of my most common games just for, for comfort. It is something mm-hmm. I play quite a bit. I think I have 1,500 hours in it in Civ Six total, oh, yeah. uh, which is a good sizable chunk. And I go back to it usually once every couple of weeks. I'll load it up. Uh, 
I don't always play the game to completion, but it is something that I go back to quite regularly. And do you find that there's like, was John, what John said, is that sort of similar to your sentiments? Or is there a reason with, you know, we have so many historical strategy games to pick from today. What do you think keeps pulling you back to Civ Six? Well, I mean, I remember the very first Civ. <laughs> I mean, I I played it in university. I remember when it came out. So yeah, 30 years, I am, a, I am an old, old man. Uh, 30 years of civilization. Uh, Civ Six is... I mean, it is a game that is doesn't require, as someone who's played a lot of Civilization, doesn't require a lot of heavy thinking, doesn't require a lot of paying attention. It is something I can uh, quit, reload, and it doesn't take a whole lot to remember where I was or what I was doing. I don't have to write down plans. I don't need to track what, it's not like a paradox game where I need to track what all of these other different actors are doing in real time. There are you know, five or six other empires, and they all have pretty much the same abilities that I do. Um, the systems are distinct. They don't really interact that much with each other, uh, especially in Civ Six, which separates them, I think, even more than other uh, Civs did. You know, production is production and science is science. And they're kind of, they don't interact or interplay with each other in any great, uh, sophisticated way. Um, uh, John called it board gamey, and it kind of still is uh, board gamey. Um, they expanded the number of civilizations in Civ Six, which is always nice. So when we talk about faction design, I think there are a lot of things I really like that they did, and some very big missed opportunities uh, that they could have gone down to make the game, I think, a little bit deeper and more interesting. But it's you know it's a game where I can play the Babylonians, or I can play, you know, the Vietnamese, and they are on pretty much equal footing with the French or the Germans at the game start. It is your very traditional, I mean, the term 4X was invented for games like Civilization. It was Civilization and Massive Orion, they needed a name for these. And it, it really still is the archetypal 4X. It is what other games are based on. Uh, so for me, it's mostly just comfort. It is like loading up, um, dungeon crawl or a cookie clicker it is something i can just idle my hours away in um it's not that it isn't not that i don't have to think about it because i do it it can be a very challenging thought-provoking interesting game but it's it is an institution i mean if, if you listen to this podcast you have certainly played at least one civilization if not all six yeah for sure um i'm curious because I I've actually found that I've gone back to Civilization Six more since I've started playing some of the other games that um, have have sort of arisen in the meantime uh, to to kind of try to like take take a piece of its pie, um, which is you know we've had we've had Total War has been around for a long time we've had these you know smaller kind of 4x is like endless legend and obviously space 4x has always been kind of its own thing i feel like 2021 was really the first year that we got a lot of um, sort of direct competitors to civ in the sense of a turn-based historical 4x kind of tile game uh we talked we've talked about humankind obviously which is the most obvious like civ off-brand competitor i don't i don't mean that in a mean way when i say off-brand um uh 
or um, Old World, which is which is kind of a fundamentally different game in some ways, but obviously descends from Civ. Um, and the interesting thing is, is those games inspired me to play Civ Six again. Like as I was playing Humankind, I was I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this this kind of gives me a hankering to go back and see see uh, where Civ Six is at. Um, which was kind of interesting. I don't know, uh, John, have you found that that those newer kind of competitors have changed your relationship with Civ Six at all? Yeah, that's actually why. So when Civ Six first came out, I was mm-hmm. sort of underwhelmed with it overall. And I think if you've been listening to to this podcast for five plus years at the time and since, I've talked pretty extensively about feeling sort of disillusioned with the the four acts as a genre. And um, I sort of I enjoyed Endless Legend um, having come off of lots of Civ five. And then I didn't I didn't really find a lot of joy in a four X again until Old World. And that was this year. And a lot of what I got out of Civ Six when it came out was, yeah, I still don't care that much about this genre right now. This this isn't doing anything for me. But this year when I enjoyed Old World again, I was like, you know, maybe maybe I haven't burned out on this as hard as I thought. Uh, maybe maybe there's something to it. And uh, my my spouse started playing Civ Six totally sort of unprompted just at the time. And so I sort of dropped in, was like, let's do some hot seat games. Let's let's play. And I started to really appreciate the design work that Civ 6 had done to bring forward. And uh, the first podcast we did on this years ago talked about this a lot. And this was sort of the the zeitgeist of the design for Civ 6 was bringing the game out of the menus and onto the map, having you build your districts directly onto the game world, game board, making your cities a dynamic thing that's more spread out, that that interacts with the terrain around it in a really meaningful way, rather than simply build some wonders plop down a giant stack of buildings in one spot and then like maybe develop some of the terrain around it into things that give you bonuses. Right. And, uh, I started to realize what a, what a really intelligent piece of design that was and the way in which it really encourages you to pay attention to the game. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see the, Difference between Civ Six, which is very iterative on what came before, and Humankind, which sort of positioned itself to be disruptive uh, of what came before, and how those two lineages sort of panned out. Um, I I just feel like I I'm having a smoother time when I'm playing Civ Six. I don't know if there's like a more specific way to describe it, but it, it does kind of feel like hearing a new indie band's like first album versus, you know, something that's, that's like really like heavily produced and, and like fine tuned on the mix, uh, in Civ Six's case, um, where, you know, there's, there's a lot of institutional, uh, continuity and, and building upon these, you know, layers and layers of uh of what came before um in terms of just some fundamental stuff uh where it you know they don't they didn't do ultimately a lot civ 6 didn't 
that I felt was was like hugely moving the genre forward. I guess maybe cult splitting culture and science would be like the biggest best example of that for me because I I didn't I didn't ever fall in love with the city builder aspect of it. Um, although that's that would be interesting as kind of its own game. Um, I mean, you really can't underestimate the importance of the map uh, and the city building in Civ 6 and how that affects pretty much every decision thereon. And I mean, you have, for example, uh, mountains and deserts and rainforests and rivers affect where you place certain districts on the map. And that's great. That's obvious. That's interesting. It seems kind of intuitive. Why didn't they do this before? And you have humankind kind of picking up and doing some of that too, where one can only be built on certain things, et cetera, et cetera. But Civ 6 takes it to another level by having that interactive faction design. Uh, certain factions are better in certain types of terrain. They get advantages. So the Russians get big faith bonuses in the desert. So that might, they want to be, for the Russians, oh, um, a deserts and uh, sorry, in tundra. So you have tundra and snow is good for the Russians and f for their faith. So then you want to build their special um, holy site there, and you get all of these other bonuses. Uh, Mali is really good in the desert, so that affects. Oh, well, then they really want to rush to get the Petro Wonder up because that makes the deserts really, really productive for them. So it affects all of this. So the faction design plays into the map, which plays into special structures and plays into wonder choice and it ends up being the, the the map seeps through every aspect of the game not just the city design um and it is so beautiful and interesting and it's i kind of wish that every faction had a some kind of interaction with the map they all don't um like really only the inca get to do a lot with the mountains for example um, everyone else, they're just get the usual bonuses to uh, campuses and holy sites, and the Inca can you know cross through them quite early on, where everyone else has to wait for dynamite and wily coyote to build holes <laughs> in the wall. Um, so we have, but many of the factions do, and if you do, I mean, I always go random, so it's always interesting when I go random, and I get like Canada, and Canada gets production bonuses in Tundra and Snow, but I start in some like stupid temperate river valley and I have to think, okay, how far am I from a pole? I got I have hockey rinks coming in like 1200 years. I've got to keep, I've got to move up and get those hockey rinks built. So you start exploring <laughs> for what will be worthless terrain to almost every other faction. But for Canada and Russia, finding that worthless terrain is like a gold mine. Um, right. And it, it's fantastic yeah. to how that transforms the play experience. Um, there's always exploration is always a big part of these games. I mean, it's the first X and four X, um, and trying to find where to plop down the cities and find out where all the resources are, because every tile on the map interacts in interesting ways. And for example, um, another thing you'll have. Um, you get to build power plants later on in the game and wonders like the Roar Valley. And they offer bonuses to cities that are within six tiles of the uh, 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 electrical power plant or Roar Valley. So you start counting and placing that wonder 
based on how many cities that can affect because power plants start causing pollution later on and you don't want to build too many power plants. So there's all of this counting and developing and planning and it's really intricate and it's kind of a nice little dance. And I love that about the game. Yeah, I I think that the civilizations that were most interesting in six were the ones that recognized how much of six became about to me the most interesting part of the game which is the exploration phase the finding out where you're situated in the world in reference to the other people around you and how you're going to interact with them and whether or not you're going to have to go to war over a piece of territory those pieces of territory became so much more important for every faction because of the the placement bonuses so like yeah there's a really good spot here with a couple strategic resources and some mountains that's a perfect place to build a campus for science but also where those factions were interacting with their own unique needs and there was a real i think impressive bit bits of design for the factions that want kinds of terrain like the dutch are fascinating they don't care about a lot of the things other civilizations care about they just care about rivers they want to be on a river at all times and you're wasting your time if you're not founding a city on a river whereas the uh the the australians want to always be putting their cities on a coast if they're building an inland city it's it's a compromise of some kind a decision they're making because they really need something that's inland and emphasizing those bits of the design where people wanted certain kinds of terrain and where those pieces of design clashed with each other, I think has created some of the most interesting stuff in Civ Six. Yeah, let's talk about the new Frontier Pass a little bit, um, because it is it is pretty it's not only experimental in in how the they actually formatted the release of it, but also in in the content uh, that came with it, particularly where it almost seems like some of it is prototyping ideas that they had for the main game. But for whatever reason, they, they didn't make it in yet. Like there's a there's a barbarian setting now that I play with pretty much every game that, that lets you like negotiate with barbarians and interact with them as something other than just bad guys you have to beat up and, and take their stuff, um, which which kind of to me reflects more of a modern design sensibility than the, the typical Civ um, barbarians. Uh, but uh, yeah, are, are there any of these settings that that are like um, auto picks for you now or any that you, you don't particularly like? I think it's interesting because I played I played a couple games with the barbarian clans mode, which mm. Uh, for the people who aren't familiar with it, allows barbarian tribes to basically when they when they spawn their little tribe, uh, what do you call them? Centers, forts, yeah, settlements, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they can become. You can interact with them sort of diplomatically. You can pay them off to leave you alone, or pay them to attack your enemy, and depending on how the money you pay them and how you interact with them, they can eventually settle and become a city state, which are those sort of one city, single uh, interactable places that can give you a bonus of some kind. And them becoming a city state, I think, is really cool design and it's interesting. And I like it much more than the base barbarian design, though I did eventually 
find that it isn't great on larger maps. And I think that's a shame because I I like Civ on really big maps and it's too Mm -hmm. bad. But it just ended up being one of those things where like, yeah, this is a fun idea, except now there's like hundreds of cities, like not literally hundreds, but now there are like 10 more city states on the map than there were when we started. And all of them are on like Antarctica equivalents. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. City state spam is definitely a thing that can uh, that can sort of take over the game. I think in in Civ Six, if you're if you're if your settings are a certain way, uh, if you like to crank everything up to to max, like I do, <laughs> I haven't learned my lesson. Uh, Troy, are there any of these like kind of game modifiers I'm, that you I'm really a, like? I'm a ha- I'm a heretic. I'm a boring vanilla heretic. Uh, I do not like many of them. Uh, really? I do not mean the barbarian one was fine for for a, a few times, uh, but by and large, I mean like John said, eventually you have too many. It, you either don't have enough gold for to make a lot of difference in the early game. You can't pay them off, or it's a waste of gold when you can, when you can better. When you might as well just run them over. Uh, why would I be give? Why would I be giving them gold to pay them off if I've got a bunch of swordsmen? It's just it's just a waste of my money that I can use to build to rush another unit or to have in the treasury if I have like too many military units and I'm going to war later. Um because those swordsmen have mothers, Troy. Uh they're the sending the, them off to die in the barbarian wars when you could have just paid them off and that, everybody could have that, just that's lived what and they're paid for. Um <laughs> they're they they you have the other add-ons there's the corporate one and there's the cult one, which I thought was a bit too weird by far yeah. there's the the historic hero one where you can get hero units and that's kind of cool it's a nice twist on the great people great people in the game of course are spawned different types of bonuses uh for your civilization in the hero mode you can get for you know 20 25 turns kind of a special unit uh you know king arthur or some other great hero to run around and uh, lead your armies and do things, and then they become relics uh, and provide bonuses to your army. And they're back. That's nice. A little bit nice. Little nice bit of history. Um, but that, like the barbarian thing and the corporate thing, and the barbarian thing, seem like I think you know you're right. There's probably there's these were ideas that were thought about and weren't quite fleshed out enough for the main game. And so they stuck them in this optional game mode, in this module uh, mode. I mean, in fact, I think the cult one is clearly just this one-off. But a lot right. of the other ones are, you know, things that you can see being prototyped. Uh, like the, the corporation stuff. Um, Civ Four had corporations in an expansion. And you could do a corporate takeover of the world, make a whole lot of money that way. Um, in many ways, the corporate mode in Civ Six feels a bit like that. Um the heroes do feel like just another pass on great people. But by and large, I don't think they add enough to, I don't think they make, I don't think any of these modes make the game better than it is in its straightforward vanilla random settings. I don't think any of them add any necessary special flavor. I mean, I know a lot of people like the barbarian thing, but I just find it's one more decision I don't really think I should be making. I, I don't think it's an interesting decision. I don't think it's a required decision. And it does end up with, because 
I'm a pacifist generally by nature in Civ. I'll fight like generally one big war in the early game to knock off uh, my nearest enemy so I can grab their space and get like four cities going real quick. Um, but generally I'll go for a science victory or a culture victory after that one big war. Um, so the more barbarians there are, the more I want to placate them. And it's like, this is just a waste of my time. And yes, as John said, you end up with all of these city-states on maps that often already have too many city-states uh, crammed into one little continent. Um, and I don't like having to mow them over. See, I'm such an RP dork that, like, the reason I always leave the barbarian thing turned on is because, for me, any run of Civ is about the story I'm telling in my head about the civilization I'm playing. And if I can have like more detailed interactions with the world like that, as long as it's not a bad game mechanic, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a really like taxing choice, mm -hmm. I guess. Like just the fact that I have the option to tell a slightly different story about how I interacted with these barbarians is kind of enough for me. Um, the corporations one sort of, is interesting late game like I can I can sort of tell myself a story about why this particular, uh, you know, Zaibatsu or whatever rose to being so so important uh, to to uh, my country. Um, I, I kind of agree that like the, the cult one is kind of silly is like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll play Civ with vampires once just to see what it's like. All right, I've seen that now. I'm probably never going to touch it again, but that was kind of an interesting novelty. Um, the one that I really don't like is the like super extreme uh, ecological disaster one. The apocalypse Be mode, yeah. Yeah, because like I complained when Gathering Storm came out that climate change wasn't punishing enough, but the way they... they to try to solve that in this game modifier is that when you get to the end stage of climate change, meteors just start raining from the sky for some reason. <laughs> and that's, I, like, I guess that's on. sort of the, the idea of it is like, yeah, the world's <laughs> going to end. Go out, try yeah. to go out on top. Right. I just wish it had been like a, a big more fan realistic of that scenario. I, yeah. I think that turning up the danger level of the climate change and weather events is sort of a better Right. Example. Um, and I, I think that those are are one of the. Coolest bits of design, like I, I don't I wouldn't I don't want to go back. The map being more dynamic, more interesting oh, yeah. and more alive with the with the climate change, with the natural, even not even the just the climate change stuff, the natural disasters, uh, volcanic eruptions, floods, earthquakes. I don't oh think my there's God, earthquakes, floods. but like. Floods hurricanes oh my god oh yeah i, I love the floods i think they're the best i mean I, I i hate them every time it happens i'm furious but <laughs> i love them as part of the game the map coming alive is yeah. one of the best things that's happened to civ as a series and one of the most i think i think i'm hope i'm hoping it will become one of the most influential changes in the 4x and yeah. we in in a decade or so we'll all look back at civ 6 and we'll say that was a that was a watershed moment where they looked at the design of like Endless Legend and they saw, hey, you can you can bring the map to life 
in a new way. Let's let's take that really far. Let's make the cities a sprawling thing that interact with the terrain. And then a few years later, they went and did Gathering Storm and they said, let's make the cities a huge, powerful thing that has to be built around the world, not sort of overlay it and dominate it, right? You have to interact with the world. If if you want those river yields, you need to be prepared to deal with flooding. I mean, floods, just, I mean, they're a great part of the game. Uh, they're just the most infuriating because they happen <laughs> so like you're, 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 you're like two turns away from finishing a dam and a thousand year flood wipes out all your farms. Or you're trying to build the Great Bath and the Turks get to it five turns before you do. Just all of these things make floods very, very annoying. Um, but you do get in their you know, defense. These... There's not there's not much to Ottoman civilization besides like aren't baths great? Yeah, <laughs> it's just so frustrating. Um, but they they add quite a bit, uh, quite a lot of color. Uh, they add you know a little bit even to um, you know espionage where. You know, you can, uh, it's not a flood, but, you know, one of the, I think, by the by, I think this is the first Civ game to do espionage properly and well and interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. But one of the missions is to destroy a dam. And that's great. You can just flood your enemies out um, and ruin their productivity. And I think that's an interesting way to uh, turn the map against your enemies. Um, You know, it's, it's great. I think volcanoes are annoying, but I think floods bother me more because there are ways to stop floods and they never get them done in time. It is it is an extreme Murphy's Law moment. Like it literally happened to me last night where it was the turn, literally the turn my dam finished was the turn that it flooded, which means that, yes. All the farms were destroyed. Don't worry, though. They're now protected from <laughs> floods. The last hurrah of the flood god. <laughs> yeah, one of the other really interesting things that they added, and I was looking, I think it was in the Vietnam pack, um, is they've they've added this new preserve district, which I find really interesting because I like to see if I can play you know, some games I like to just go full industrial and be like, we're going to transform every tile in our empire to be as productive as possible and, and damn the consequences. Uh, but they've added this new kind of it's it's like a housing building that doesn't give you as much as a neighborhood, but it also increases appeal and it doesn't um, destroy the environment around it um, or that you build it on, uh, which I had a really interesting game where I played as the Maori who are kind of the archetypical tree hugger sieve i think of the sieve six roster uh they're the most geared towards sort of ecological preservation and building these kind of wild cities is actually fairly viable um which i found to be kind of an interesting alternate way to play and is another thing that i would love to see sieve pursue more in the future is sort of these modes of directions that you could take an economically modern civilization that aren't necessarily, you know, factories and skyscrapers. Yeah, I think that was a major point of design in the initial release with national parks, right? This idea that Mm -hmm. late game, you would start to look at empty space in your empire or already developed space and think, 
maybe we should like maybe I should be using this to instead draw in tourism or gain some other kind of of benefit of income or faith or what have you from these empty spaces. And I really like again, it's another way of exploring the idea of activating the map. And it is really something that that the designers went all in on with Civ 6 and just the decision to build a a preserve is a really interesting one in Civ 6. And I, I really like the preserve, especially as a building, um, because I like how it's a very precise decision that you make fairly early on in the game because you get the preserve. I want to say it's still in the Stone Age. The, it's, it's like the ancient age, sorry, ancient it's, era. I, I, I think it it's is. ancient era, yeah. Yeah, it's mysticism, which I think is only like the second or third column of technology. Right, um, and so you it. get you get it and you immediately get the the first building i think it's just like the grove or something like that mm-hmm. that immediately can powerhouse the tiles nearby right if there are breathtaking appeal tiles they get like food faith culture they mm-hmm. get this this massive yield boost that can be huge especially if you're going for any of the the religious or cultural victory types those bonuses can be fundamental right and I like that they can emphasize like different uh, cultural histories that are very real and they they fit the sort of leet motif of Civ. Like, yeah, it's uh, it's 8000 BC and I'm Teddy Roosevelt and we're going to build <laughs> a, a preserve because, of course, that's what Teddy Roosevelt would do in 8000 BC. Yeah, uh-huh. I think he said as much uh, on on multiple occasions. Um, I, be- I believe it was just after returning from having fought the Spanish in Cuba. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and that's I think that that ultimately might be the thing that I've come away admiring the most about Civ 6 is that, uh, you know, they've, they've given us tools like the preserve. They've given us tools like the National Park. They've finally split off to, to demonstrate that, like, you can have a very advanced, you know, culture complex civilization uh that you know just because they didn't discover you know gunpowder <laughs> before their neighbors did uh doesn't necessarily mean that you know they were they were living in you know caveman times or whatever um and i think yeah that absolutely at the, the push end of the pull day, between yeah. culture and science is a really pleasant experience right um and I'd, I'd love to see if they could take that further to where you could have late game civilizations that look one of any number of ways um, that that uh, Civ Six has has definitely moved in that direction, especially we mentioned earlier with Civs that are predisposed to certain types of terrain. Uh, I like that a lot uh, as well. Um, as far as releasing content this way, uh, Troy, as as like a Civ player, how do you feel about sort of the the way the New Frontiers was presented to us? Well, I mean. They tried something like this with Civ Five, uh, where they would release the first, I think, couple of new Civs were released like on their own, just as you know mm-hmm. DLC. Uh, before they realized they thought that didn't work so well, so they went with full expansions. Um, through Civ Six's history, they've done a bit of both. They've done full expansions and they've done special uh, Civ packs. And uh, the front, the New Frontier uh, Pass. 
like every few months there'd be one or two new civs with leaders and a new mode and a new mechanic and I kind of feel like we said about the the modes how a lot of them felt like they were like not quite fleshed out I think a lot of this the the, the new factions are they had them designed and didn't have a pack, didn't have new ideas to put in a full pack. Uh, so they staggered out uh, these releases. At least that's my diagnosis. And there's some really, really interesting cultures in here. I mean, there's some, you know, really bizarro choices. Uh, uh, the, uh, Simon Bolivar and, and, and Grand Colombia, you know, you're never going to see that in any other strategy game. And it's a super, super great military civ. Um, I, I think they kind of, one of the things I wished they'd done more with both the New Frontier and throughout the way they released the DLC is throughout Civ Six, they draw this distinction between here are the uh, civ attributes and here are the leader attributes. And there's a difference between them. And you can see this in the few factions that have like multiple leaders. Uh, Chandragupta and Gandhi both have different priorities. One is a warlord, one's more of a faith and culture person. Uh, Gorgo of Sparta is a war person, and uh, Pericles of Athens is more into culture. Uh, so we have different leaders for civs, supposedly having different things. But so few of the factions have multiple leaders. Um, they even had to get a second uh, English leader and a second French leader. They just took Eleanor of Aquitaine and gave her to both. The same mm -hmm. thing with Kublai Khan. He's both Mongol and Chinese uh, with the same leader attribute, but now applied to two different civs. Um, so the interesting things they could have done in like, what if... Barbarossa wasn't the only German leader, and all we knew of Germany was this, all we know of Germany in Civ Six is he's this barbarous, warmongering, you know, goofball uh, who's a bit too big for his armor. Um, you know, there's so many other options they could have pursued there. Uh, Egypt, they could have had another characteristic that showed us a little bit more of what Egypt's history was like. So this idea, uh, so I was kind of hoping when they announced New Frontier and New Leaders that they would release, you know, new leaders. Uh, that you would have somebody different for Spain instead of Philip. And therefore you could pursue a different type of Spanish strategy with a different leader. So the fact that I could talk about the Roman bonuses and they're not Trajan's bonuses. He's the only Roman leader. So they're Rome's bonuses, what Tra Trajan does. So I think there was a missed opportunity in the New Frontier to, you know, release new leaders to help people instead of just, I mean, I'm all for new civs. The more new civs you have, the better. I just love this stuff. I'll just keep, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write about that stuff until uh, the end of time. I just love when new civs are unveiled in every single game uh, and especially civilization since it's my all-time favorite. But there were opportunities, I think, to push that distinction between leader and civ that they really didn't take full advantage of. Um, even, I mean, animation is hard. Animation is expensive. Uh, so I get why they didn't want to have the two leaders for every single civilization. That's that's a hard thing to push uh, when people are perfectly happy having, hey, here's Grand Colombia. Hey, here's Ethiopia. Here's Vietnam. Um I mean, I'm happy to see it. A lot of people are happy to see it. Uh, 
But you know, they have they, a lot. Of, a lot of people don't know this, but there are two different skins for Teddy Roosevelt and two different skins for Catherine de' Medici, and they both have different leader attributes based on their skin. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have these great different leader attributes given to the same leader. And it's like, what are you doing? You're killing me. You're killing me here. Uh, you could be like doing, you could be, you could have, you know, give me George Washington. Uh, give me FDR. Uh, give me Louis XIV. Um, just because I like, yeah, this is, this is he, not, it's not, it's a historish. It's not history, but the history cosplay is a big part of why I love civilization. I mean, I still have the biggest crush on, on Catherine the Great from Civ Four. Like, <laughs> if, if if she was real, uh, it would be a very different life I'm living right now. Uh, but, That's val- very valid. Very valid. But I mean, she, she is my all time game crush. Um, so you know, you should be having these sorts of the more characters you have, the more cosplay you can have for the leaders. I think would make Civ to emphasize the variety, not just of Civs, but varieties of Civs within history. That so that we don't have. The stereotype, the French are always, you know, about culture and diplomacy. No, they're also about, you know, burning down your farms and that sort of thing. Um, Germany's not always about war. They're also about, you know, Goethe and Beethoven. There are all kinds of different things you can do uh, to make the game, I think, interesting and make the cultures come alive in different ways if they'd push that leader thing just a little bit more. And I'd hoped New Frontier would have been when they did when they'd done that. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think that it was a real missed opportunity where the game. Here's why I think it was a missed opportunity. I think that there was a realization that it was really, really hard to design a second leader ability for the same set of civilization traits. And I think the first example you brought up, which was India, is a perfect example because India is a civilization that's built around religious victory, maybe a a little bit of military going on, but like you're focusing on a religious victory or a diplomatic victory. Maybe you're going to luck into a cultural victory of some kind. That's what India's traits are made for. And therefore, that's what Gandhi's traits do. Suddenly you add Chandragupta, who's like kind of a war civ leader, and India is just not really built for that. The the regular India traits, it's not a unified set of abilities. And I think that's why mm. some of the more successful later designs were on the civilizations. Uh, like, like, I think the um, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine is a great example. She just has an ability that would literally be great no matter which civilization you gave it to, yeah. right? She has the ability where she's uh, making other cities jealous of her cool stuff, and so they want to join her empire. That would work no matter what, right? And so, I think that 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 sort that tough little that was a really tough design nut to crack. Yeah, it almost feels like the whole thing is is almost like a proof of concept. Like it's so underused that it's like, yeah, you could have you could ha- you could have swappable leaders and for the same sieve. And here's a couple examples and um, modders go nuts, um, which they have. The problem is a lot of these alternate leader mods uh, are not very well balanced in my experience, <laughs> uh, which I think tends to be an issue in, in civ mods in general, especially if it's if it's made by somebody who 
has a personal investment in a specific national myth, um, they can go a little a little bit uh, crazy sometimes with uh, with the bonuses for uh, for certain leaders. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird that they included it and they didn't use it more. But out of the new leaders and uh, and cultures that have been introduced in, in New Frontier, uh, I know, Troy, you mentioned Grand Columbia, but is there a specific one that is your overall favorite? Of, of the new ones, I mean, it's probably, they're all kind of interesting. I mean, it might be Babylon, actually, because Babylon legitimately breaks the game uh, in, like, the weirdest ways. Uh, Babylon's special trait is... One of the cool things in Civ Six are Eurekas. If you create a little mini task, you get a bonus to research a specific tech. So, for example, if your slinger kills a unit, you get forty uh, percent of the research cost towards archery because you discovered something special about making things go far. <laughs> uh, Babylon's special ability is Eurekas give you a hundred percent. So. Dude. You Your slinger tech. would kill a unit, and oh, you've discovered archery. It's like, okay, fantastic. Um, I was playing a game as Babylon, and I had battleships in like 900 AD. Because <laughs> I was just chasing Eurekas. Um, so I was sailing around my coal-powered battleships. Uh, I was still <laughs> puttering around with very primitive uh, sanitation in my cities. Uh, but I was just wrecking stuff. Um, I, I thought they might nerf it because this is just way too overpowered. But it, I mean, the, 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 the con is that Babylon's ordinary science is much slower than everybody else's. So you're really relying on the Eureka's to keep you moving. If you go the regular science, Babylon's going to lag a bit. Um, but it's a, it's a really fun special ability that allows you to do things that are kind of weird. I, 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 I mean, Civ 6 doesn't have a Venice in Civ 5. Civ 5 right. had Venice, which was a kind of a one, it was a one city. They couldn't build settlers. If they wanted to expand, they had to buy city-states. Uh, mm -hmm. Effectively, yep. um, it's my favorite Civ and Civ Five. Complete, overall. completely yeah. unique, completely original. Really challenges you to how to think about the game. Civ Six doesn't have any of those. Um, yeah, but Babylon does have. I think the power that I think makes me laugh the hardest at the kind of the weird alternate. <laughs> you know, I'm just running yeah. around. I'm running around with crossbows in 200 uh, BC. Because I built three archers. It's like, oh, great. Well, you, I, got, uh, you got your priorities in order. It's gunboats first, and then we'll figure out where the poop goes. That's, yeah, more or less. Order, you, yeah. Can, you can just poop in the battleship. <laughs> you got lots yeah. of them. Uh, the so, ocean's really big. There's lot, There's plenty of room. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think Babylon's kind of my favorite because it does, you know, it takes a, a very important and interesting game mechanic and says, you know what? What the hell? There are no rules. Um, and you can have fun with it. And I, I love that. The other ones, you know, Gaul, it's, yeah, they're all right. You know, they're kind of, they're a mining and production sieve. Byzantium was holy wars. Um, but yeah, I think Babylon, because it's just way out there, has caught up to my favorite. What about you, John? I think it's interesting because uh, I, have, I have a really similar reaction to Troy, but at about a completely different civilization, uh -huh. which is, uh, I love the Mayans. Um uh, lady six sky they're cool they're really they're, cool yeah. because 
specifically, they encourage you to play in a counterintuitive way to how Civ 6 is designed. Um, whereas Civ 5 penalized you for growing your empire too big, right? You didn't really want to have more than like five or six cities to, to really win because everything got more expensive in terms of science the more cities you have. Civ 6, there's no penalty for growing, right? You want to grow as much and as explosively as possible in Civ 6 at all times. Where, but but the, the Mayans are encouraged to bunch their cities up around their capital because all their cities get a bonus and a free builder unit if they are made within six tiles of the capital city. And they get a penalty if they're more than six tiles away. And so there's this push-pull of like, oh, I want to settle in this great spot. You want to make sure you settle in a good spot because then you want to sort of optimally build as many cities as you can in that six-tile radius around your capital. And you might, before the game is over, depending on the, the speed of game and the size of the map, you might never go past that radius for the rest of the game. Whereas other civilizations want to do stuff like spread out as far as they can. And I think that one of the reasons I like the Mayans is because I think the the most missed opportunity in, in Civ 6 was setting a limit on growth, trying to encourage you to figure out where to build or not build, when to expand and not to expand, because there's always there's it's an easy answer in Civ 6. That's not a that's not a choice to be made, let alone an interesting choice. The answer is if you can get bigger, you should get bigger. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a I had a similar reaction to them because they, they feel the most Venice-like of of the Civ 6 Civs, the most like Civ 5 Venice anyway. Um yeah, they're really good on if if you're like getting boxed in by a lot of aggressive neighbors because you don't really have to care. Uh, you you can do a lot more with less less land and everything outside of that is like eh, that that doesn't count. That city doesn't really count. Like I don't care if it gets captured because it's kind of crap anyway for me. Um, yeah, I even as even as like a major uh, uh, Celtophile, I guess you could say I was not super impressed with Gaul either. They're just kind of hey. Hallstatt culture, ironworking. Let's can we do something with that? Yeah, all right, sounds good. Like it was, it, they're 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 pretty they're pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, the, those those ones I think are are the ones that uh, that I found the most interesting. Vietnam's kind of fun. Um, Kublai Khan China is kind of an interesting spin on on the typical China, which I've played a lot of China in Civ Six, so I kind of. It got a little bit old, so having having some new options for them was cool. Um, I think that. Do, do you ever build the Great Wall? Because I never, I hardly ever build forts, so I never saw much point yeah. in build, building the Great Wall beyond getting the uh, era bonus points for building a Great Wall section. Oh, the the Great Wall is hysterical. It's so much fun to build. Okay. <laughs> because of the. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because um, of the way that it draws on the map, you mean? Well, yes, but. Also, just because I want to draw a pretty line doesn't mean that it's not also useful in the game. It's the uh, it's the culture boost. It can really shoot China's culture production through the yeah. moon, uh, especially if you're like, oh, too bad I got some tundra. 
guess I'll just build some great wall on it. And then <laughs> you get, you know, each individual section ends up being like worth six or so culture by the time you're finished building lots of great wall. Um, but it is definitely a strategy that's very reliant on like, oh, I got to get the pyramids as early as I can so I can get all these bonus builds on my workers so that I'm building like a single builder unit and it's able to make, you know, eight sections of great wall. Right. Well, so I, we're looking. Oh, go ahead. I was I want to I want to give a shout out to one of the ones that to me felt the most like a let's test this mechanic in case it's interesting for the future. Right. And that one is Portugal, which has the ability to um, basically Portugal is des desperately and at all times wants open borders with other people uh, because they have a unique unit with the ability to build inside their opponent's territory. That is really interesting. I haven't actually played as them. Yeah. And it's it, I think yeah. it's really fascinating because it almost weaponizes the like the map is important nature of Civ 6, right? Where mm -hmm. eventually you get the the now, which has the ability to build the Fetoria, which is this like, you know, little offshore fortress. And if you're familiar with the history of Portuguese colonization, mm -hmm. this was kind of their thing. They really liked to show up somewhere, realize the locals had something they wanted, build a fortress and then start getting the thing from the locals. And if the locals ever got mad about it, they were just going to go hide in their fortress until the locals forgot. And so this is a thing you can now do. You can you go into your uh, your opponent's territory and you build it on a, a coast tile adjacent to land and one of their res their resources like their bonus or luxury. So their their honey or their silk or whatever. And it gives you money. And it makes your trade routes to that city more valuable. And so now Portugal is this wheeling and dealing civilization where you're like, I promise that if you give me, uh, you know, if you give me open borders with you, I won't build a bunch of fortresses on your coast. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, I like and, that a lot. Well, yeah. The Portugal also has, you know, this real big penalty that they can only trade with. Uh foreign coastal cities they can't trade with a foreign inland city so right. they're kind they, of they are really a maritime sieve um so it is they that i mean that that, that great bone I mean, the now is a great unit i love plopping down fatorias um but they it, it, they and a few other sieves are so dependent on being nice i mean if portugal gets in an early war um, and those grievances start piling up, their game is kind of hosed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because they're limited to trading to coastal cities, so they can't make a lot of money going to deep interior towns. And without open borders, you can't be plopping your Fitorias down. So everything ends up being so reliant on being the nice person. and. I think they do. It's a much better way of dealing with trade than, say, the Dutch. I mean, Wilhelmina, the Dutch leader, who is also really big on trade. And if you meet her, she will be angry you're not trading with her, even though there is absolutely no way your camel you can get trade. all the way across the globe <laughs> to her. She will be irate and will start hating you because you don't. Ha you haven't 
because you're not the Babylonians and haven't invented oil yet. Uh, and it's just... But the, the, the bonus for training with her is quite nice. Very strong diplomatic bonus. Um, and the Cherokee, the, sorry, the, 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 the Cree, have their uh, caravans grab territory if they're trading close to one of your cities, which is great. But yeah, I think I really I th- like that. But I think the Portuguese trade power, both in limiting it, saying, "Oh, this is this is great. You can build these things." But remember, you can't go to you know their capital city with is in their middle of the map. You're kind of stuck here. I think that trade off makes Portugal a very very interesting sim. I think you're right, John. Yeah, I. I think the most interesting designs in Civ 6 are, are civs that get some sort of trade-off, right? And I think that's why we focused in on three that do here, yeah. right? The Babylonians are terrible at producing science, but they can get their stuff for free. The Portuguese are technically, by other standards, terrible at trading, but they're also amazing at trading over the ocean. The Mayans are great at building up big cities as long as they are building up those big cities near their capital. So Civilization VI, uh, by the time this show comes out, it'll be just about to turn five years old. Um, And the franchise as a whole will be turning 30. Yeah, because, uh, you know, our misspent youth is behind us and we are all but dust in the wind. Um, We've got two expansions. We've got... I want to say at least dozens of balance patches. I don't know how many overall. We got all of this new Frontier content. Um, Civ 6 today, uh, where does it sit in the strategy space and in the Civilization franchise overall? Uh, John, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. I think that in the strategy space, Civilization still 6 is still one of the most expansive and approachable complex strategy games that there is i think that it still really encourages new players to try out the game and has a wealth of an expansive wealth of settings that allow new players to try out the game whereas other games may not be as invested in providing very difficulty and extensive tutorialization for players Civ does and it does it well and it's also it just has a lot of character the leaders the leaders and their animations are fun they're cute they're they're funny the like shit-eating grin on Alexander the Great's face just makes me want to slap just backhand him so hard and that is a good thing right it's just it it draws you in it makes you want to play more and I think that that is Civ Civ 6 especially, I think more than most of the other, maybe maybe tied with Civ 5, but much more than Civs 1 through 4, um, is the, the gateway drug to complex strategy games. And like the, the genre as a whole owes it a lot for that. There would not be the runaway success. I mean, I say runaway success, the success you see in the strategy space now without Civ as a game that people are like, oh, I kind of like history. I'd like to try that out. Would you say that it's your favorite Civ game at this point or where does it fall in that that list? I think that's hard. I still have far fewer hours played than in Civ 5, but Mm -hmm. now that I can play it from the couch, (laughs) 
which I <laughs> yeah. couldn't do before. Yeah. I can see myself picking up a lot more hours uh, on the road to a Civ 7 coming out. And, you know, I, I say that, but at the same time, I can't see myself going back to Civ 5. Yeah. The. I criticize the uniqueness of the faction designs in Civ 6. But I wouldn't trade the quality of life improvements and the the sort of general activation of the map as a play space. What about you, Troy? Where do you think it sits uh, in terms of strategy games and in terms of the the Civilization franchise? I mean, it's one of my favorite games. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just leave it. Pretty much, like, I couldn't stop there. I mean, this is a game that I keep coming back to. Uh, that I mean, it's a series that I love, and it's a game uh, that I love. I think it does. I think its lessons have been picked up and adopted by other uh, Forex developers. I think we can see it in um, Amplitude's uh, Humankind, and we can certainly see a lot of it in Old World. Um, we, I think it is... Uh, Ed Beach and Anton Stenger have done some amazing, amazing design work in thinking about uh, where to take the series and, you know... I, I kind of wonder what they would. I kind of don't want them to mess with it. I kind of don't <laughs> want a Civ Seven, because um, really Civ, interesting. Because with with, with with Civ Five, I could, yeah, you know, I I can see where this where they could take this and they could push the push here and push there, and Civ Six will uh, give us some of this stuff. And they did some of that and a lot of other new things. I mean, I guess the one thing I wish they would do in Civ Six is you know, man, they still can't get religion right. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. missionary spam. There's got to be. If you, I don't know why you know religious victories. First, why we have them, and second, uh, why missionary spam is the solution here. It's just it. It's so so frustrating. Um, I mean, some of the civs built around religion can be interesting, uh, but it's really really not an interesting mode of gameplay. But in general, I mean, I I don't know what a civ seven would look like i mean they certainly can't go back to all the buildings have to be inside the city space uh they're not going to go back to uh multiple units in a stack um i don't know i could see them do something like humankind where you can have a limited i guess civ 6's solution to that was to create bigger stronger units by combining smaller units yeah i think i mean i, th- I think that yeah. was a great I think that's a really uh, an underappreciated uh, innovation. Yeah. I mean, armies have been in uh, Civ, I think, since Civ three, um, but because there aren't a whole lot of units in Civ six, and because the costs can grow pretty big, mm-hmm. and the uh, drain on certain resources can get pretty high, the ability to merge units uh, into like super strong units, which can take up just as much space as a single unit, but pack way above their weight, I, th- I think is great. Um, but I mean, except for religion, I, I, I mean, I just really, really love everything in Civilization Six. I mean, there's going to be a Civ Seven. I mean, they this is how Firaxis mm. makes its money. I mean, they have XCOM now, and they have a Marvel contract. But I mean, Civ is how they make their money. This is their big, big game. Um, oh, it's yeah, it's inevitable. There is going to be a Civ Seven, I think. I, I, I don't. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, where Civ Six sits in the strategy, like 
hierarchy, stratosphere, I think it's the best game of what is arguably the best series. I mean, you know, Rupin Rosales is always going to be my favorite series. Uh, but I mean, like I said, I've been playing Civ, Civ since the original, and I probably have more hours than Civ 2 because I was doing a PhD and therefore I had nothing to do with my day except uh, play Civ 2. Uh, <laughs> so I, I swear to God that added a year to my doctorate. Um, so, and I think I played, I put more hours into Civ 4 as well. But I mean, Civ 6 has more competition now than those games did at the time. There are more mm-hmm. strategy games, more history strategy games, more conquer the world strategy games. There are how many different total wars are there now? Uh, in there's more. There are more accessible historical strategy games, which I think might be the biggest. I I, uh, I, I biggest think I, I think yeah. that you know, Civ Six still stands as one of the giants. Uh, in the I think I think it's a masterpiece. I know a lot of people. You know. There are, there are a lot of Civ heads who really would like to go back to four for some reason. Um, you know, it's a, that's up to people who think, you know, Fallout 1 was the good one. Uh, there's this. You don't have to call Rowan out like that. I She's not know. even here to respond to you. Uh, <laughs> but it, I, th- I, I, I think I think Civ 6 is, is a legitimate masterpiece. It is one of my all time favorite games. Uh, and uh, yeah, when Civ 7 comes out, I'm going to buy it. But I, I, they, they've got to do a lot to get better than this, I think. I think that uh, I think that one of the things you brought up is a key improvement is to sort of take religion and fold it into culture and in the way that yeah. uh, other gameplay types evolve over the course of the game. Like you have the addition of air units eventually for military combat and ocean units become more valuable and important or the way they added electricity i think taking taking religion and making it something that changes and evolves over time and deepening that design space will be a key to making the next civilization a more interesting and engaging game so if you wouldn't want there to be in your perfect world troy if there is no civ 7 do they continue to build on Civ Six, or would we just like put it out to pasture? Like we've hit peak civilization, and I, this is this is the game we're gonna play forever. Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're done. We can we can stop here, or we can we can we can, we can do a remaster in like three years. Uh, you know, give me a new leader for a second leader for every Civ, except for I mean, yeah. B- B- Bolivar could be the only one for Grand Columbia. You know what I mean? Come on. There's only reason they just, who else are you going to pick there? That's just ridiculous. Simon Bolivar wearing a different hat. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if, if, if there's going to be a Civ 7, so I'm not, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, a, it's a silly wish to think they should stop here. But I'm, I'm very happy with Civ 6. I'm going to be playing it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be playing it this weekend, probably. It's Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, and I'm going to be playing uh, Civ 6 and out of the park baseball. Nice. John, what would be your wish for the future of the Civilization franchise? I uh, I really like what they've done with Civ Six. I'm glad they've decided to leave it where it is, and I'm excited to see what the next designer brings to the game as a whole. I don't know who will be the lead designer for Civ uh, moving forward, but I think they've had a really good track record. They haven't picked a bad lead designer for a Civ game yet. They're always picking people who have proven good designs there's a reason that civ 6 is as good as it is and it's because a a brilliant board game designer worked as the lead design for this game so 
I have a lot of faith in Firaxis as a company's ability to choose a good designer and make another good game. Whether it's one that I like more, we'll find out. Or we'll find out that I've burned out on 4Xs again. <laughs> it's yeah, one it's, or the other. It's interesting how how positive we've been after how many shows we've done on how burned out we are on 4Xs. But I think we might be burned out on talking about how burned out we are on 4Xs. Um, I think I landed in a similar place. I think Civ 5 will always be my Civ um, just because... You know, I was in college. I was in the exact right place in my life that I needed a game like Civilization Five when Civilization Five came along. And I played four and I played three, but I, I don't have the hundreds and hundreds of hours in them that I do in five. That being said, if I'm going to go play any Civilization game like right now, after we get done recording the podcast, I'm probably firing up Civ Six. Um, I have my criticisms, but I'm relatively happy with with where it's landed after five years of development. And I think it is uh, it's still a terrific 4X game to get in today. I would I would even recommend it, especially for a new player over something um, like Old World or or Humankind, I think, um, for for a lot of the reasons we've already discussed. But I think that's going to do it for this. I, I turned uh, turned a little bit Scottish there for a second. Do it for this week. Uh, I don't know. Do it. I'm being haunted by by the spirit of Fraser. Uh, Can we go out like on how much I hate Wilfred Laurier in this game? <laughs> Not because I have anything against Canada, but because I'm sick of hearing "Oh Canada" come up over and over. Oh, Troy, <laughs> are you going to take that? Are you just going to take? He that? is. Okay. Laurie is a pain in the ass because the diplomatic victories are just so easy for that little bastard. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, I can't do a surprise war on him. Yes, so he knows I'm coming. Uh, but the, <sighs> and, 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 and Mounties are a stupid unit. Um, they're so funny. <laughs> they are. But, they are. They're hilarious. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he can say, but yeah, Laurie is a punk. That's fine. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to discuss uh, which Civ leaders you don't like, uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network, and you can head over to idlethumbs.net slash 3MA, where we have some forums uh, where you can where you can talk about Civ, you can talk about anything strategy related. Um, Three Moves Ahead is also supported by listeners just like you on uh, Patreon. That is going to be at patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can get all kinds of cool perks, including uh, you can come to our Discord server and talk about which uh, Civ 6 leaders you hate there in live in real time. You don't even need to F5 the thread to see if anybody has, has uh, you know, agreed or disagreed with you. Preposterous. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The technology we have now, it's it's uh I mean, it's technically been around since like IRC or whatever, but it's the the presentation has gotten better. Um, and you can also find us uh, on Twitter. Uh, we're at three MA is our is our Twitter tag over there. Uh, this episode was produced by me, and we'll be back next week with more three MA. Until then, for Troy and for John, this is Len saying good night. Oh, you know what I should have said I wanted for Civ 7? I want the ability to build roads back. Let me build my own damn roads. <laughs>